and welcome to the Employability Services new podcast channel, Bernessa. My name is Fionn Davis. And my name is Dr Beth Edwards and we'll be hosting each and every episode of this new channel. Today we're welcoming two guests to our podcast. So the theme for this episode is career stories and we'll be hearing from two speakers from Bang University to share insights from their own careers. So firstly, thank you both so much for joining us here today. You're welcome. Thank you. So before getting into the questions, would you like to introduce yourselves? Is that all right? I'm Delis. Uh, uh, I'm currently working as a project support officer in the School of Natural Science. Thank you. I'm Faye Short. I'm a professor in the School of Human and Behavioural Sciences and I'm the APVC for employability. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your career journeys. Yeah, me too. So let's get started with the first question. So what was your dream job as a child? Bella, would you like to go first here? Yeah, um, I always wanted to be a maths teacher. Okay, (laughs) interesting. Um, But alongside that, I think um, a chef was what I wanted to do, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. How about you, Faith? I'm very impressed with a chef. Does that mean you can cook? <gasps> oh, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Lovely. Should have brought some snacks in today. <laughs> um, as a kid, I, I partly wanted to be an actress. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really interested in a career in acting, but it felt a little bit too risky. So my second choice was a funeral director. Oh, wow. And I didn't pursue that one either. So <laughs> those were the ones I was most interested in. That's really interesting. Why the funeral director? I'm struggling to see the It seems the like a very appeal. peaceful job. Um, you know, yeah. very calm, very peaceful, very supportive to the people around you. Something that where you can really make a difference at a crucial part in people's lives. Okay. I've asked this question to a lot of people recently, and that is an answer that Fiona and I can say we've not had yet. <laughs> no, so that's it's not. Well, I considered pathologist for a while as well when I was out, <laughs> but there was a lot of biology. Perfect. So. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's so interesting. And chef as well. I mean, I would love to say I would want to be a chef, but I'm the worst chef on the planet. Oh, it came natural to me because my mum was a chef. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's really good. So she's taught you all the ways to... Yeah, I was the one in the kitchen with mum baking. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So if we start off with what, what your career path looks like, what was the first job that you've ever had? Mine was a waitress. Waitress, yeah. yeah. Straight into catering. Mm-hmm. Carried on in catering for seven years. I did five years in catering college. Ah, uh, So I became a chef, went into hotel management, left home to, you know, live in hotels and work. And oh, wow. that was my way for the, the beginning. Yeah. And then, sadly, life experience, you know, something happened in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my first son, so I ended up in sort of realising that you need friends more than you need to work mm. and sociable hours yeah um so i got offered then a job in a post office which was just totally oh, wow. random and totally different yeah um but they knew me and they, they wanted to get me out of the house so i started as a, a post office clerk oh, gosh. Um, and then went on to a bank they show a bank and then on to i fell into administration really okay um and then i've done 20 years in administration wow. between the council the nhs up to sort of project management level and then yeah they decided that I had to uh, get a degree so at 39 I went back to university and did the degree oh my gosh yeah wow and then I'm doing a master's now and still working trying to start again and get my career back on track it's really exciting what what are you studying your master's in 
MBA in management. Gosh, so many different experiences there to draw yeah. on. It's like, yeah. is there a job you haven't done? I mean, it sounds like you've done so much in your time. Yeah, yeah, different yeah. fields as yeah. well. But it's all helped because, it, you know, it all falls into that. As, you know, even as a project manager, mm-hmm. it stems from administration tasks and it, it gives you the good base in order to move forward and, you know, it gives you that construct, really. So I've got my, you know, my undergraduate degree, business and finance, and I'll have my MBA and I'm qualified in project management. So hopefully when I finish my master's, I'll be ready to hit the road running again and get back on track. Yeah, exciting stuff. How about you, Faye? What was your first job? Um, If we discount babysitting, because (laughs) I was born in 1980, which meant in the 90s, it was perfectly acceptable for teenagers to babysit other kids, whereas today I don't think that happens quite as much. So I'm going to discount that one. My first job was probably when I was 18, when I worked as a barmaid at a holiday camp. And I earned more money that summer in tips than I think I earn now. (laughs) Because I I pulled in a lot of tips that summer. I was 18 years old and it was a holiday park, so it was really busy, you know, Mm. six, seven, ten deep at the bar. Um, So, yeah, I earned a lot of money in tips. And at the end of that summer, I started my degree in psychology. And then I went straight into my master's and then straight into my PhD. At the end of my PhD, I got a job teaching. Um, I taught, I was a youth worker and I taught A-level and I also taught kids who'd been excluded from secondary school um, and were sort of being given an education to support them, but also to just keep them out of trouble a little bit, which taught me an awful lot about how to teach and how to engage kids. And then I came back to Bangor and continued into being a lecturer and I've been there really ever since. Um, Mm. While a lecturer, I did training as a counsellor and trained for a master's in counselling. And then over a summer, I watched Boston Legal. If you've not seen it, it's an excellent (laughs) series. And I thought, I could do that. So I also did a a master's in law. Um, So we integrate a lot of those. So the education, the counselling and the law. And I now run the MSc in counselling in the School of Human and Behavioural Sciences. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And honestly, I can I can relate to that. I did my undergraduate in um, Cardiff Met. Traitor! I know, traitor, so bad. Never mind, you're here now. I'm here now, I made it in the end. But um, I did business and management and then further down I picked up law as a pathway. And I think, genuinely, like yourself, I'd been watching How to Get Away with Murder. (laughs) And I thought, right, I quite like law, it sounds really interesting. Um, Safe to say I didn't take it any further than that. (laughs) But... um, TV shows could definitely be inspiring. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I think you watch a TV show and you see all these jobs, you're like, oh, that looks cool. Oh, I could do that. And yeah, you end up kind of thinking you could do absolutely anything. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of the media representations of counselling and psychotherapy are very not realistic. Oh, um, so <laughs> we, we do occasionally get people who think that they want to do the job because they yeah. think it's like it is on the TV and it actually okay. isn't. I suspect it's the same in law. Yeah. I suspect it's, it's not quite the way it is yeah. in Boston legal yeah <laughs> i think that's why it's so important to have these conversations about what people's jobs are what they've done and just those real life experiences so people have kind of informed knowledge and have speaking to people so i know from my own career asking people what their experiences are and just speaking to people is probably the best way to find out what mm. you kind of want to do just by having yeah. these conversations yeah definitely and i think when you're younger i know i was told a lot you you'll follow a certain path and you'll go from this to the next and it'll all follow nice and tidily but it just doesn't does it you move on to different things you find out 
different jobs that you never knew existed before and you enjoy doing that and it's eye-opening yeah I think I think a career is quite unpredictable from from what I've learned so far and I think you know the pressure on people is to go into that straight away and know straight away what you want to do and I mean I thought I knew what I wanted to do I came to uni to do one thing and I've ended up totally different but Mm -hmm. I think does it matter what you're doing as long as you enjoy it and you feel a purpose for it I think that's yeah exactly that's that's the main goal really isn't it I always feel my job basically is Monday to Friday, nine to five, and it's the majority of your life, as, as as sad as that is. So you have to find something you enjoy, don't you? Oh. Absolutely. And I teach on the counselling course. We we look at some of the leading figures in the field, so mm-hmm. people like Carl Rogers, Sigmund Freud, and the work that they've done. Mm-hmm. And in almost all cases, where they started their career is not where they ended up. Yeah, they yeah. did like their first degree in. I don't know, English language and they wanted Mm. to be a writer and to write fiction and ended up as a psychologist and changing the world with their theories in a very scientific way on Mm -hmm. human behaviour. So we see massive shifts in people's career paths. Mm -hmm. I think if you don't know what you want to do at 18, that's absolutely fine. And if you still don't know at 55, that's still absolutely fine. And if you're 72 and still don't know what you want to do when you grow (laughs) up, that's okay too. There was an article, wasn't there, about a lady, I think it was 101, who's recently received quite a high award in the university. And I was like, you know what? That's brilliant, isn't it? Go yeah. trying something new and doing something at whatever age. So yeah, 100%. My mum was a... They did a programme on my mum with getting older people back into work. Okay. And she did her NVQ when she was 61. Yeah. And then did NVQ 3 when she was 63. Wow. Yeah, and she's, like, doing 12-hour shifts as a carer. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and still working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's <gasps> 70 in April. <gasps> That's amazing. Still working. Oh, wow. But she cared for my dad because my dad wasn't well, so she cared okay. for him all her life. Yeah. And us before that sort of thing. So always been a housewife, yeah. essentially, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she started working in the nursing home when my dad finally went. And then, yeah, she oh, wow. um, she got to do it. How She's soft. doing it now, yeah. yeah. She loves it. Ah, that's so yeah, good, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh important to find something you like definitely because then you don't mind working until you're 70 or, or 80 or however <laughs> keep asking when are you retiring okay yeah. <laughs> okay so before moving on to learn a bit more about your current roles we have a question that we're keen to have your contributions on it's it's quite a big one isn't it Beth? yes it is a really important question mm-hmm. so think carefully about your answers here so are you ready i'm ready What is your favourite biscuit? Oh. <laughs> now we're, I'm interested to I, hear I, from the chef. I think I'm going to need a little bit more context. Is this biscuit going to be dipped in tea or not? Oh, this is a good question. Because that completely changes the playing field. <laughs> okay, we can give you two, an, two, an, two options. A general biscuit. So, for example, if we walked in now with a plate of biscuits, yes. what would you eat? And then mm-hmm. you can have a separate option for dunking in tea biscuits. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll let the chef go first. I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> so, cup of tea, yeah, it's got to be a ginger biscuit. Mm, I like it's that. It's got to be a ginger biscuit. Nice. And then, if it was just, like, guilty pleasure, I guess, <laughs> it would have to be a caramel and chocolate digestive. Ooh. Lovely. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, like for that. sure. They are good choices. Um, I would probably go with a custard cream for a cup of tea. 
<gasps> which is a bit controversial because you, yeah. you got the, the custody bit in the middle <laughs> with the tea. So you've got to know how to dunk it. They're just the right amount of time that it's just slightly soft, but it doesn't fall off doesn't in the tea. That's the worst. <laughs> um, and I think if I didn't have a cup of tea, I would probably go chalk chip cookie. Oh, oh Maryland nice. or I'd settle for a Maryland. Yeah. Um, are, we, are we allowed to name products oh. here? <laughs> we can beep it out. We will beep it out. <laughs> I'd settle for a Maryland, but I think if I was really going to spoil myself, it would be one of those really expensive ones where you get like six in a pack. Oh, oh. A, a ridiculous amount of yeah. money. Yeah, I like the Tesco ones. You know that the giant. Co- oh gosh, I've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Other supermarket brands are available. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> the supermarket ones that we. They're big and they're gooey and they're soft. Amazing. Yes. But I would be really boring if I was choosing a, a biscuit to dunk in tea. This, again, is, I think, quite controversial. I would go rich tea. I know not a lot of people, oh. they find it very boring. Well, tea's they, in the they, title. They just yeah. disintegrate into your cup of tea. Yeah, you have to be really fast. <laughs> that is true. You <laughs> have a spoon ready. It's lethal. <laughs> Well, I don't drink tea, but with hot chocolate, which I suppose is an equivalent, it's a chocolate digestive, but to avoid falling into the drink issue, I get a spoon, break the biscuit up, slowly lower it into the top of the hot chocolate, and then eat it like that. Oh yeah. my goodness. And if it was a biscuit just for pleasure, oh gosh, I do like a good like hobnob with chocolate or... Nice. A dark chocolate digestive. There's something about dark chocolate that just Lovely. the richness. I'm going hungry now. Thinking about it. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thanks for that. Um, back to the reason why you're actually here. Yeah. So you mentioned when introducing yourselves a bit about your current role, but if you could perhaps tell us a bit more, or maybe the best bits about your role, that would be really useful. I think. Uh, yeah. Um, so my current role is a project support officer. I think the best bit about my role genuinely is the support I get as a carer. It's really hard to find a position where you have that flexibility mm-hmm. and you're fully supported as a carer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is one of the best, it, away from the work side of it, but just knowing that you're fully supported, it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. It gives me the motivation to do my job and not stress and worry and yeah. you know all the additional side of it. But the, the work I do... Um, I, I love my job because it's so varied mm-hmm. um, so it can be from general administrative tasks to taking charge of you know um, administration of funding tracking the funding when it's going to be spent and mm-hmm. deadlines and reports and you know the, wow. the it goes from zero to a hundred in 30 <laughs> seconds you know yeah. and, and I love that because it you know when I've got a challenge, I, I thrive. So mm-hmm. um, I guess that's what I really like about it. And I yeah. get to work with people and who work on things I've never heard of, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. my skills are still substantial in the team because where there's others lacking, maybe in the administrative side of stuff, yeah. they have all the knowledge in their own field, but, the, you know, it's where they need the, the support. Mm-hmm. And it works so well, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like a valued part of the team, even though... I know nothing about what they do, essentially, you know, the science side of it is just, you know, I don't have that knowledge and Mm -hmm. it worried me initially thinking, oh, you know what, how can I support that team? But actually, I'm really valued member of team then. We're only a team of three. 
you know, so it's um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. I think you touched on there about kind of choosing the right place for you mm. to work as well, and being mm. able to kind of when you're looking for a job or maybe thinking about careers, thinking about that wider thing, not just about the job but the actual environment as well. Yeah. Absolutely, it's so important as a carer because I I have to have that flexibility of, you know, I might get a phone call and I need to run and and I don't need to worry and panic and which causes so much more stress, um, you know. And I've been to, you know, I, there's been situations where you've had interviews, you work into, and they're fully supportive, but then when it comes down to it, it's not as flexible as anticipated, mm. and it does cause additional. Yeah. worries and you know yeah. things that you shouldn't have to worry about essentially so it's so finding a supportive employer absolutely then. absolutely yeah. yeah makes all the difference mm. how are you Faye? um so i have two roles um there's my counseling director for the msc counseling and then there's my apdc for employability i think the best thing about teaching and running a master's in counseling is probably watching the students grow and change and develop we say it to all of our new applicants that they will not leave the course the same person they arrived as. And I don't think any of them really believe me. And then we get like into the second year because it's a two-year master's and they come and see me and they go, wow, I really didn't believe you, but I am just not the same person at all. I've changed so much. And it's seeing them go out into the world and do the amazing things that they do because they really are incredible. You know, we have over 60 students come into the course every year and each of them gives 100 hours of counseling to vulnerable people out there who really need that support and Mm. they change people's lives and being able to foster and support those students to go out there and do that is just an amazingly gratifying experience so I think any job that gives you that sense of satisfaction that you're you're changing the world for some people out there is is a really amazing experience so yeah that's my my counseling role um my APBC for employability is actually a new role I started last semester And most of my role involves supporting employability initiatives across the university. So I've basically been exploring everything, seeing what's happening at the moment and then seeing where we can improve and develop and really support students to become more employable and get those careers in the future. And I think one of the most gratifying things about that is just working with the numbers of people in the university who support students. And I think a lot of our students and our staff maybe aren't aware of how much is there that they can access to be able to enhance the employability of our graduates. So learning about that has been an absolute privilege and realising how many people are so committed at Bangor to helping students get that dream job, but not just get that job, we're not just, you know, get into the workforce, but actually pursue a career path that works for them. As you were just saying about pursuing paths that work for them in terms of caring responsibilities, in terms of work patterns that that fit for them, you know, being able to have their life alongside their job. And as as we were talking about earlier, having a job that actually feels satisfying. You're there a lot of time, you know, you're there for hours every day. And actually doing something that makes a real difference to, to you and feels like it's really gratifying. So... I think in both of those roles, it's about the students and what the students experience that just being a part of their journey is just such a privilege. Yeah, it's this almost like I'm speechless. I'm like, yep, perfect answer. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people kind of may put pressure on themselves to find this kind of perfect job and need to know what they're doing. And I think the question of what is your dream job, you know, what do you think of the response of it's my dream job is a job that makes me feel satisfied and actually... Mm that as a legitimate response rather than kind yeah. of pressure and saying what do you want to do i want to be a yeah. no it's i want to do a job that i feel kind of gratified in and i feel that i have a purpose Definitely. for yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I don't think your dream job is going to feel like a dream every day. (laughs) Because it has to feel challenging. Because actually, if your dream job was, you know lying on a beach drinking cocktails, <laughs> within a couple of weeks you're going to get bored. So true. It's, well, you've got no. to, <laughs> it, there's got to be challenge there, you know. So yeah. in the moment, you know, when I'm thigh deep in marking and dealing with 100 emails, yeah. I'm probably not going to say, yes, this is what I dreamt I would be yeah. doing. But actually, looking back, even those challenging times yeah. gave me something. And I think recognising that as well, that resilience building and that your dream job doesn't mean it's perfect every moment. So it true. just means when you look at it as a whole, that's mm. what's giving you satisfaction. Yeah. And I like think so when true. you don't get that satisfaction, that's when you know it's time to start looking for the next thing. Yeah. Because you, know, yeah. you do. I mean, I've changed jobs. Not a lot, but, you know, I've known when it's time to move. Mm-hmm. Even though I've loved important. where I am, there's been a point where I'm thinking, I'm not able to give this 100 anymore. And yeah. you know you know why. It's mm-hmm. because it's become tedious. It's become same thing day in, day out. And you need that change. Yeah. And you need to be able to put your skills to something else, you know, because that's when you thrive, isn't it? You see change. Yeah, 100%. see something happening, working, and you know you're doing it well. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it becomes if it becomes stagnant, that's when you know it's time to to move on. Hundred percent, that's so important. I think as well, isn't it? Like knowing you know when to leave and having the confidence to make the move as well. Because I feel like a lot of people sometimes they know they should change, but they feel you know too scared to start again and start in a new role and be you know having to learn everything all over again but if you don't get the satisfaction and the happiness from it I think you definitely should you should take the plunge but it sounds like you really enjoy what you do so that's amazing glad to hear that but is it something that you thought you would be doing um I think Faye you touched on this is the role you're in now something you imagined yourself doing when you were younger or um I very much like talking, and (laughs) so any career that involved me talking a lot would be really, really suited. More than I like talking, I like telling people things. I like explaining something to someone and then going, oh, wow, that's really interesting. So I think I've always known that's a a direction. Um, When I did my A-levels way back when, um, I actually did A-levels in theatre studies, psychology and English, And so the three decisions I was making between was to pursue acting or go into psychology or decide to maybe do some writing. Mm -hmm. And I figured, well, I can do writing on the side, whatever I do. So acting or psychology. And I went down the psychology route because I figured if I become a lecturer, it's kind of like acting. I get to stand on a stage and talk to people. There you go. (laughs) So yeah, best of both worlds. So yeah, I think it was probably not when I was very tiny and wanted to be a funeral director. But (laughs) once I hit probably about 18, I think lecturer was definitely where I knew I'd be headed. Yeah, how about you, Della? Um, I think it, you know, catering is where my heart is. Yeah. And to be honest, it still is. You know, I love mm. cooking, love mm. cooking. But it's not a career. You know, I did go back to it about 10 years ago. I took the plunge, left a good job and went into catering full time again because I thought maybe maybe it is what I need to do. Yeah. And I did it for a year, mm-hmm. but a year was more than enough. <laughs> um, and I was like... It was killing me. Was it? Yeah, because mm. I'm so passionate about it. I was, mm-hmm. ended up working silly hours mm-hmm. more than I should because I was yeah. so committed to it. It took yeah. over my life. I was watching, you know, my kids growing up and maybe just seeing them asleep. Yeah. Because I'd be in work from morning to night. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just thought, no, this isn't. Yeah. 
this isn't the right thing for us as a family. Um, so, yeah, I think with regards to what I'm doing now, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess my prospects have changed. You know, my, mm-hmm. I was in a good job, but mm-hmm. it would have been a job that I would have had to stay in up until retirement age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a decision to be made, and I made the decision to to yeah. move on. So when I did that, my aim, I guess, now going forward, would be my ideal job. I suppose would be to be a project manager for a charity. That's what I would mm-hmm. like to do. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, maybe something close to my heart. You know, something mm-hmm. I can be passionate mm-hmm. about. But for now, I'm quite happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> Until I finish my master's, at least, anyway. If you feel the need to keep the chef side into it, you know, you, you can find us on the second floor of Rathbone yeah. if you want to send us <laughs> any. That's very true. That is very yes, true. Yes, I'm sure, I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure we can satisfy Everyone's that. Everyone's always willing to eat my cake. I don't know what, what that's about. <laughs> oh, <brilliant. laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, um, so finally, we're really trying to use this podcast series to give some top tips to our listeners. Listeners. So is there any advice or a lesson maybe you have for our listeners in terms of following a career? Or, you, or even, you know, a piece of advice that you were given by someone else and at mm. the time you kind of thought, oh yeah, well, yeah. Stuck with you or something. Yeah, yeah. something, anything like that. I have two pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the first one is essentially recognise the skills you have. Because I think I do a lot of interviews. So I interview students. I've interviewed students for PhDs, interviewed people for lectureships, and I interview all of the applicants for the counselling course. And the number one thing that strikes me is that you ask somebody, can you tell me three of your key strengths? And that is such a common interview question. Mm -hmm. Something like that is going to come up in every interview. So you would expect people to be able to almost rattle them off. Mm -hmm. And people can't answer. What are their strengths? And these are people who I have actually taught on their undergraduate degree. And I know they're amazing. They've done my module and have done counselling skills. Mm -hmm. And they've done a research project. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're looking for on the Masters. And yet they don't seem to Mm -hmm. connect. So I would say to anybody who's done a degree, look at what you did on that degree. Look at the learning outcomes from that degree and get yourself a good list of key strengths. So learn how to articulate your strengths and don't be embarrassed to do that. Because I think sometimes we're a little bit too humble. So do not be embarrassed to say how amazing you are, because that is the whole point of the interview, to, to let somebody know how amazing you are. Exactly. My second point would be to keep a rolling CV. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not looking for a job, get your CV done when you, you know, right now, whatever position <laughs> they're in right now, get a CV done and just keep it on your computer. Even if it ends up 30 pages long, mm-hmm. what it means is every time you do anything, you do a little course, you do, you get some experience, you do a project, add to your CV, keep it in there. Mm-hmm. And then if you happen to be, even if you're in a job you're okay with, but you see a great promotion opportunity or you can apply for an award mm-hmm. or you see another job and the deadline's tomorrow mm-hmm. and you're like, I can't pull a CV together, you've got one. All you actually have to do is remove the bits that aren't relevant, tidy it up, it's ready. So keep a rolling CV of everything you're doing so that you've always got it there to be able to turn to. Those would be my point. top two tips. Brilliant. A bit of homework for us there, I think. Yeah, yeah. Feel. Let's get the CVs freshened up. <laughs> I think for me it's about no decision is a wrong decision. I've often wondered, you know, when I'm making big decisions about my career, mm-hmm. especially with the one where I decided to come back to university because mm-hmm. I was in a good job, you know, and I thought, oh, what am I doing? But I knew it was right for me at the time. Did I anticipate I would become a foster mum in the first year? No, I didn't. Mm. Did I anticipate I'd become a carer? No, I didn't. 
but I've managed it still. Yeah. You know, mm. I think you've just got to trust in yourself. Yeah, and take um, the risk. And take the risk. Yeah. You know, because it pays off. Mm. It will pay off, and it makes you a better person. It makes you a stronger person. Yeah, yeah. You know, so just really, it just builds your resilience, even if there are challenging times, which mm. there has been. Mm. It, you know. You get through, yeah. and it just makes you more determined, if anything, to carry it on, you know. Mm-hmm. Second one, I think go back to that, what I said before about when something feels stagnant, you know, mm. when you're not getting something out of yeah. of your job. Don't be scared to change it, you know. Go mm-hmm. and do something different, try something different. Yeah. Because unless you try it, you're never going to know. It's very true, yeah. Well, again, another great answer, uh, an answer there, really, to those yeah. questions. Yeah. yeah, and just before finish, is there anything else you want to add before we um, finish this episode? I, just that it's it's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's It's been a lovely afternoon chat. Likewise. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you again. Thanks for coming. Um, hope you enjoy listening to our podcast, those of you who are listening. Yeah. Tune in soon for more discussions, questions. And remember, if you do have any suggestions for topics or a speaker you'd love to hear from, please feel free to send us an email at targetconnect at bangor.ac.uk or better yet, you can send us a direct message to our Instagram page at the Employability Service. Yeah, so thank you so much, Faye and Della. Bye for now.